Welcome to DevQuest, a podcast from the folks behind Lando about the wonderful and perilous journey of the modern web developer. Over the past few years, for many developers, the age of the monolithic web app has faded into a modern reality of complex multi-application deployments. If you were a Drupal or WordPress developer 10 years ago, chances are you're probably now working on more complex projects that include things like rich JavaScript front-ends, decoupled architectures, and complicated deployment pipelines. On today's episode, I talk with Solomon Gifford and Mike Wetter at BlackMesh. BlackMesh is a managed hosting provider that helps organizations host complex web applications. If you name it, Mike and Solomon have probably seen it. Here are a few key points to listen for in our conversation. How what it means to do Drupal and be a CMS-focused developer has changed in the last few years. How to send 7.5 million faxes and half a billion emails to Congress each year. How public cloud providers are driving infrastructure and application framework choices. How serverless technologies are changing the development world and when you may want to use decoupled architectures. Let's go talk to Solomon and Mike. Hey, everybody. I'm here today with Mike Wetter and Solomon Gifford from Black Mesh. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Nice to see you, Dustin. Yeah, great. Thanks for, thanks for having us join. Nice to talk to you guys. So Mike is a solutions architect at Black Mesh, and Solomon is the senior director of CMS product development. Uh, would you guys go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourselves and what you do with Black Mesh? Yeah, so uh, a former university professor. I've been in the Drupal community since 2008. Uh, most of my development experience was with Drupal 5 and 7. Uh, one, um, the site we were managing at the time was a high-performance Drupal 5 site. We were hacking core like the rest of us. Um, we were borrowing ideas from what became Pressflow, et cetera. We got Varnish working with Drupal 5, which I think is a is a cool thing. I haven't heard many other teams um, do. Um, before anyway, it was cool, huh? Before it was cool, that's right. Um, but it, but it, it became cool really quickly. Um, but anyway, since then, I've been working with Black Mesh, which obviously was acquired by Contigix. And I've been in a number of different roles, but most of them kept me close to of the lead development of a product we have called Cascade, which is our deployment engine. It deploys CMS sites like Drupal uh, to custom infrastructure. And my current role keeps me focused on leading our core Drupal products and services roadmap, uh, making sure that we're meeting the needs of our customers. Cool. How about you, Mike? Hey, so yeah, I have the distinction of being uh, Black Mesh's first employee. I started with uh, Black Mesh back in 2005, um, along with the, the two founders. So it was very much a, a startup experience then. Um, and uh, you know, we we kind of stumbled around for a few years trying to figure out where we belong. And uh, somewhere around 2008, we we found Drupal and. Uh, Realized that was a great niche for us to be in, uh, you know, specifically sort of the secure compliance space of of Drupal and, and CMS a little bit in, in general. And so I started in a support role, was there for many years, uh, sort of morphed into an onboarding new client role uh, for a few years. And then around the the time we were acquired by Contigix, um, I actually moved onto the, the sales team as a solution architect slash sales engineer where my, my primary role is in supporting, uh, you know, the, the sales team sort of from a technological base and a platform design. Very cool. So it sounds like you guys have a, a, a much deeper roots in the Drupal community than even I do. I didn't get started 
till you know partway through the Drupal seven uh, you know uh, life cycle somewhere around like 2012. So that that was fun to hear about uh, wiring up varnish on Drupal five. <laughs> I've never had to touch Drupal five myself, so. I only go back as far as maintaining some old Drupal 6 sites. Yeah, well, the funny thing about Drupal 5 is it was really just Drupal 4.7 um, rebranded. So yeah. a, little bit, a little bit more than that. But, um, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting time. Yeah, that kind of that, that sounds like Drupal 8 and Drupal 9 to a certain extent. <laughs> you know, it's just like we just deprecated a bunch of the, you know, the stuff from Drupal 8. It's definitely made the, the move to Drupal 9 much more seamless, I think, than, uh, than the jump from 7 to 8 for sure. Yeah, even from five to six and six to seven, there was a lot of pain. And so having the having the uh, the quick, easy way to upgrade is going to be a an awesome improvement for the Drupal uh, experience. Definitely. So uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about today was actually, I mean, we 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 all have some roots in the Drupal community, but the interesting thing I think is, you know, how much that's changed over the past few years with things like headless Drupal becoming you know, pretty popular for a little while um, and all the other technologies that we get to play around with. So um, can the black mesh stack is uh, really good for this, uh, for running like multiple different technologies. That's something that you guys support where a lot of other, you know, sort of Drupal specific or, or past platforms don't support that kind of flexibility yet. So one thing that I was curious about is like, what is the craziest you know, kind of tech stack that you guys have ever seen, you know, someone run for their sites? I think sort of as a a comparison first, you know, is to, to point out sort of the standard stack that we see almost day in and day out with all our clients, right? Um, and that would often be an HA proxy uh, into Varnish uh, to Apache, PHP, you know, Redis, and then a max scale MySQL backend on that. So that that probably encompasses 75% of, of what we see, right? But it's that other 25% that I think is interesting um, when when people need to branch out of that. Um, and a you know a, a classic example I can think of is uh, we had a, a company or a client that um, they had a Varnish front end, but then it pushed into a, a node. Uh, so it was a headless Drupal setup. So it pushed into node. It then went to HA proxy, um, where that distributed down to the Apache sort of middleware, if you will. Um, and then that interacted with the Drupal uh, CMS, you know, directly. So it had this stack going down that way, and they also incorporated both inbound and outbound proxy serving, which you know that's something that we, I don't see very often uh, in this in this space. But they were a security focused company, so they uh, they they had that requirement in there as well. So that was a unique uh, unique challenge for us to meet. Yeah, outbound proxies is definitely something that not a ton of companies need, but when they need them, they need to be able to do them correctly. <laughs> um, exactly. And it poses a real management challenge, right? When, they, when they're restricting access both directions, it, it makes things tough to do. You know, simple updates and things like that all of a sudden became very challenging. You know, modules that you just expect to work, you know, they're trying to contact some other service and, you know, for some reason they're just failing and you can't figure out why, like that, that, that kind of thing too. So it, it definitely... Seems like it should. It, it adds a good layer of concerns for people to take care of. How about you, Solomon? So uh, I actually was a client before I was a customer, and I brought a very unique solution, at least in my opinion, to uh, to Black Mesh. Uh, we had a fax server that needed two PRI lines that were shipping um, seven and a half million faxes to Congress every year, and our platform. 
uh, it was Drupal, of course, but the the actual code set that was shipping out all the faxes in terms of uh, the queuing and and scheduling was was a Python microservice. And so the the entire stack needed to essentially be high performance Drupal. And I mentioned some of that at the beginning with varnish and everything um, for Drupal five. Um, but the but the final product was you know actually the site had some of the site was was Drupal five, some of it was Drupal seven, depending on which URLs you hit. Oh wow! Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, we really had uh, hacked up. The user module <laughs> for, for uh, Drupal. We actually we actually had a a separate authentication system that we had plugged in instead. So we're we're both Drupal sites hitting the same database. Uh, yes. <laughs> Fun. It was it was it was really really um, bespoke. Um, but then uh, but the reason we had to one of the reasons we had to change out the authentication system though is because as you know Varnish did not work with Drupal five. Um, but of course, none of that stack could also send faxes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you could probably do it with PHP now, like you know, with something like a, a Laravel or a Lumen, or you know, some like the new Laravel Octane Swool stuff. That's gonna, you know, it's gonna be like really highly available, and it's gonna use. Um, it's not even gonna have like Apache or Nginx running. It's just gonna be a PHP server. I'm looking forward to see seeing how people use that in the PHP space. Yeah. But anyway, this stuff was ugly, and we also send you know uh, half a million, sorry, half a billion emails every year. So we had to have wow. multiple IPs for um, for email deliverability. Uh, we were shoot, shooting like a million emails out uh, an hour when when we would split it up. So the, the point is just really that you know it's very high high performance, very complex mutant, if you will, of technologies. Yeah. And um, and that that solution is still running on Black Mesh today. So um, even though it was built so long ago, I mean, it's been upgraded since, but it's there's still yeah. a fax server and it's still out there and it's shooting off faxes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I was still I, the job I had before I got into Drupal was definitely I was faxing stuff every day. And I was like, well, you know, is it 1974 or whatever? <laughs> Actually, I don't, I don't even know when faxes were invented, but that's crazy. And it's still still running today. So you it sounds like I think you might win for the the most complex, most uh, high demand Drupal site I've heard of to date. That's uh, you know, stuff working for Congress, sending billions of faxes. That's definitely a new one for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah, and so like we have seen like some some stuff where people are running things like a uh, you know very specific services that run on AWS using like Dynamo D, Dynamo DB, Elasticsearch, server serverless, and some things like that all all running together. Like that's you know, the most complex thing that I've seen. Is that something, I, I believe I've heard Black Mesh, you guys also do some stuff where you can integrate into people's existing services. Is that a kind of thing that you guys support like running, you know, those cloud-specific services? Normally, yeah. I like these. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? So one of the, you know, one of the things we try to pride ourselves in is the ability to to apply our management skills um 
regardless of whether it's you know a self-hosting environment, it's a public cloud hosting, it's mm-hmm. hosted with us, it's or it's a hybrid of those. Yeah. Um, and you know, so we we have a number of clients that want to do things like you know develop an AWS and then push production with us. Or um, you, you mentioned some of those services. You know, I know we we have a number of clients that use you know various cloud-based or SaaS-based authentication schemas that they want to tie into their hosted application. Yep. Um, we I know we had a, a gaming uh, client a while back that um, took advantage had to run both MySQL and a MongoDB environment behind the same Drupal site. Um, so that was an interesting thing, and the um, the the MongoDB portion of that was actually running out of public cloud. Oh, so cool. that that was kind of an interesting tie-in there. Yeah, and that, and that 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 question was just something I just thought of spur of the moment that I, I realized. You know, thinking about some of these technologies, that some of them are only available, you know, within certain circumstances. So it's cool to be able to integrate. You know, I, I think that's something that a lot of services aren't great at doing. You know, trying yeah. to integrate with with other providers that are sort of outside their their own managed platform. So that's very cool. It's also the way we address like our automation cascade um, tools. So we call it our deployment engine, but essentially it it can deploy to infrastructure kind of regardless of where that's sitting. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's backed by Ansible. So in the back end, like we have a customer now who um, wants to use a, a Docker container um, type type solution sitting on top of servers, which is fine. That's what they wanted, um, mm-hmm. but they wanted to be able to deploy to that, and so we're able to use our our Cascade deployment engine, rewrite a couple of those um, Ansible jobs um, real quickly to be able to you know deploy those containers instead of onto servers. And from a front end perspective, the user experience is the same. They're still committing code. They're still Deploying from dev to stage to prod, still able to take databases and copy them around, et cetera. So I guess that the point is just that our approach to everything is generic, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, it's, generic to the customer, but you know, very flexible on your end, it sounds like. And you also mentioned and you also mentioned serv- serverless. And I think that's a huge area that's underexplored right now in the Drupal community. And Mike and I were actually talking about this just yesterday, how you know, from a from a future perspective, being able to um, to provide localized content or content really close to the user for performance reasons, um, it just has a lot of advantages, and yeah. um, it takes a large cloud you know service to provide something like that. Yeah, with lots of edge pops. Correct, but at the, at the in the end, if you're talking about a content management system, it all comes to a single database in the back end, mm-hmm. and so. You know, you can run that on AWS or you can run that, um, you know, in a, in a data center. It doesn't really matter. It's still part of the, uh, the entire stack. So so stacks are no longer really in a single location. Yeah, for sure. They're very, they're very distributed. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the whole cloud computing sort of era has allowed us to barely even think about the concept of where your machines are. It's difficult for some users to get their mind around when they're thinking about how to use Lando, for instance, is just the, you know, that really you should be thinking of your database container as it's just, it's a computer that's running your database, right? And, and you think about your app server is the computer that happens to be running the PHP stack, you know, and then, and then there's a proxy in front of that. And if you think about them as all being different distributed computers all over the the internet, then you won't be wrong when that, when that, you know, becomes the reality. Yeah. I made the statement yesterday that public, the public cloud isn't fluffy. But you kind of need to think of it that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there have been some, I, I know that, what was it a week or two ago, there was a huge data center disaster that happened somewhere. Somebody's data center, like had a huge fire or something. And that's just not something you ever think about. You're like, Oh, I'm on the cloud. All my stuff is everywhere and it's safe no matter what. But yeah, <laughs> there's still things like that that happen. Yeah. And that's a really good point because when you talk about business continuity and, and, and backups and all the other strategies that, um, that we think about as a hosting company, um, that's very different than what a lot of site owners are thinking about. They're just trying to get that site up. They're trying to get their users onto the site. They're focusing on that customer's digital experience. And um, a lot of times we're the ones that ask the questions like, so what happens if that data center goes down? They're like, well, it's your data center. And I'm like, well, <laughs> how many nines do you want? And what do you want us to do You know, if there is an issue? And hey, we really hope there's not an issue, but you know, something could happen. A flood could happen. Um, Ever and um, we can natural we, disaster of any kind. Exactly, and a flood doesn't mean the the, the, the sea level rose. It could mean that some truck outside the building had a leak. Yep, that's true. <laughs> yeah, all all sorts of different things. Yeah, so it's definitely. Um, I think it's it's enabled a lot of cool stuff. And I, I uh, a couple of years ago, I went to DrupalCon or not? Sorry, not DrupalCon. Actually, Laracon in New York City when Taylor Otwell released Vapor. So that's um, when you were talking about running um, Drupal on serverless, Laravel is kind of already doing this. So it would, it would definitely, it's like, you know, that kind of indicates to you that the path is there, right? That it's right. possible to run PHP this way. And, you know, because these days the, the Drupal stack and the Laravel stack, they're both running on Symfony, you know, based stuff, you know, so maybe we're not as far away from that as it might seem. We just need someone to do it, right? <laughs> exactly. And I have this feeling that serverless is going to leapfrog over containers. And I know that's a whole conceptual concept. You know, that's a, that's a, I don't know if it's a stake in the ground, but it, it is something that I'm keeping my eyes on because there's a lot of companies that are looking for the next best thing, but can, they haven't really adopted containers yet. Yeah. And, um, I see that serverless actually has a lot more promises than containers. So don't get me wrong, I'm not anti containers, they, they serve their purpose, but there's a huge expense. Um, associated with containers in terms of development time and, and and from a maintenance perspective, you by definition are are taking the responsibilities that used to be from that traditional system administrator and giving it to the developer. So there's a lot of additional skills now that your developer has to have. Yeah, there. and though they're you know there are great tools like Kubernetes for running containers in production, I've tried personally multiple as someone who helps maintain a piece of software that runs on top of docker compose who worked at a company that ran docker well not docker but linux containers for years like i feel like i should have a pretty good grasp of how containers work and i still have a hard time mentally wrapping my head around kubernetes right. and how to use it to, you know how how am i supposed to configure it there are so many options and so many different ways to do things and i you know with working on side projects i often wonder like okay like I don't want to deploy like I know all this cool stuff. I shouldn't deploy just a regular to a regular VPS and I know containers, but like, you know, serverless is becoming a thing. And there's definitely there's it's like a, a split path and it is very hard right now to choose like where you where you go. Um, and it's great that, you know, that I think serverless is becoming one of those options. And and the idea of, you know, not having to pay for containers running when you're not using them. Right. Yeah, I think is is a great thing. Uh, I think that was a, a fun, you know, kind of tangent we went on down about that. But um, the other thing that that we were thinking about talking about is 
So like we've got an idea of some of the like bigger, crazier stacks that we've seen, but like the more common use case that people are going to do, especially in like the Drupal or WordPress, you know, type of community is going to be running something like a headless CMS. Um, and for a couple of years over the past couple of years, it was like all the rage that like, that was the new thing. It promised all of us who were Drupal themers that we're not going to have to, you know, stick with Drupal's markup and we can kind of do our own thing. So a lot of people rushed into sort of the headless Drupal space and then immediately felt the pain of the additional complexity it takes to actually build one of those solutions. So I'm curious if you guys have any, um, you know, any ideas or input on things that you think are a great use case for doing something like decoupled Drupal versus things that are like, you probably don't need it. So you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> Mike, you got any ideas? Yeah. I mean, I think I, you touched on, right. The obvious one that I think we all know is, is great for a headless or a decoupled environment. Right. And that's the, you know, the, the multiple public sites with a, a single content back end where you're, you know, you want to be able to serve mobile apps and wearable devices, TV, that kind of thing. That that's sort of the, the obvious one that everybody thinks. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the NPR cope model, right? That's like the, the poster child. Exactly. Right. Um, I think one that uh, Solomon and I were discussing yesterday that that's also a, a great opportunity here is performance, right? Um, and this is this is really something that came, it's sort of new to the later versions of Drupal. Um, you know, as we know, Drupal's always been heavy database. Um, that that sort of ends up being your bottleneck. Um, so the more you can offload to a front end, you know, the better, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and that's really where. I think we we've seen some benefits and, you know, get that get that front end user experience away from that database um, and, you know, allow a, a Node.js app or something like that to handle handle most of that basic interaction. And only when you need to go back and, and get some unique content out of the, that back end, that's where the CMS, you know, the power is still there. Yep. We interacted with uh, VA.gov, actually, right, which is it's built with Drupal and their solution to this was sort of they they took a front-end application and they, what I call, flattened their sites, right? So the CMS generated the content, but then they used this application to flatten that and they're always basically serving static pages. Yes. So you have very, very fast serve time, right? Because now it's just coming out as a, a website from the 1990s type of thing, <laughs> right? But it's, but, it's, but it's really built off of a very modern CMS and, you know, in the back end of that. So that, that was an interesting case. Yeah, that's definitely... Um... That's a, a very, I think that's becoming a more common use case now. Some CMSs like Statimic are even shipping their own first party sort of static site generators, you know, where you just deploy and it literally all it does is as soon as you push any content, it, it produces a static flat file version of the site and then pushes that to a CDN. So that's, that's definitely a, a growing use case. If I were to look at this more conceptually as a, as a, as a, as a story arc, I would say that you know, when you look at the Drupal 4, Drupal 5, Drupal 6, performance was a huge issue. And so the emphasis was on press flow and, and, and varnish and getting all these things, Memcache, Redis, whatever, to make um, Drupal faster. Well, then Drupal succeeded. Drupal 7 came out. It was pretty fast. It was pretty good. And then we had this idea, okay, so Drupal used to be a content management system, but now can we make it also you know, survey, survey monkey. Can we also make it <laughs> yep. you know, do polls and, and, and make it a social media site and a shopping cart. And we just started thinking of all these additional things that we could do with it, which I'm not saying was a bad idea, but it introduced performance problems again. Mm -hmm. And so 
what I find a little bit ironic is now we're essentially saying, okay, now that we've packed all this additional capability from a data perspective into Drupal, now we can no longer, from a performance perspective, you know, run that in the wild. And so what do we have to do now is take that front end, separate from the back end, and and use it for what it really is best, and that is content management. And uh, I don't I don't know that there's a better content management system out there. Um, you know, free open source to the community behind it than than the Drupal and the WordPress uh, solutions. Yeah. But when you start talking about actually creating a website that has all that dynamic user experience, the users honestly are are expecting to do that in native Drupal is getting harder and harder. And then you start talking about single page apps and the other things that users are start starting to expect for their digital experiences. Again, it gets harder and harder. So yeah. I guess I'm looking at this from the performance arc that we focused on performance and then we won and then we stuck all this additional capability <laughs> into it. And then all of a sudden we realized maybe that stuff really shouldn't have been in it. So um, you know, there's a huge multi-site that we manage over 400 sites. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. Multi- yeah. And, uh, and one of the interesting thing is, is that, uh, you know, it's supposed to serve both logged in and logged out customers. Um, but essentially they pulled all the web forms off of it so that they could put that into a different application that way that the site can just be a static content management system. <laughs> and yeah. uh, now it does what it does well. And they've done something totally separate with, with the collecting of, of, uh, of user data. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned about Drupal seven being like a big turning point where it felt like everything kind of got done in a certain way. And then we kind of like decided to, to reopen the can of worms kind of resonates with me. Like one of the nice things about Drupal eight is that though it was difficult for a lot of people to make the transition conceptually from Drupal seven to Drupal eight, once you do make that change and you're learning how to use composer and you're using packages from the wider PHP community, it, it feels like it suddenly became like less of a big deal to decide all those fancy things that you want Drupal to do should be in these other applications because you know now it's just another PHP app, right? Right. Yeah. So definitely the one the one that you mentioned that I've seen um, we had when I was developing Drupal seven there was a lot of you know like uh, um, the of the Drupal Commerce kind of sites, right? Like, Drupal always felt really good for that. I know WooCommerce is big in in the WordPress space, but I always loved like Drupal Commerce felt like it was a really good solution for you as a developer to build like an e-commerce site on top of Drupal. You didn't like you didn't like Ubercart? <laughs> I I only ever used Ubercart once actually, but and and you know as far as as far as for that site it, it ended up working fine, but but yeah, like I I definitely felt like you know Drupal Commerce was like great and everything, but it seems like Drupal Commerce is less a part of the story now. And it feels like platforms like Shopify, you know, kind of have just solved that problem so well that most companies now, most of them want to end up putting their, their e-commerce stuff on Shopify rather than, you know, doing it through their Drupal site, you know, kind of like you're saying. Yeah. A lot of this is design patterns, right? I mean, once the community sees a pattern, a problem set, and it finds the right tool for it, it gravitates toward. So I, I definitely agree with yep. that. A shopping cart wasn't Drupal's, you know, initial problem space. It was content management. I don't want to call it just forums and blogs, but that's that's a simple reduction, but it really was content management. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's a huge component of content management to a shopping cart, but a shopping cart is really a subset of all of content management. And it has a very specific 
um, reusable design. So from a design pattern perspective, um, Drupal and WordPress can do a lot, but when something comes out that can focus on just that one little problem and do it really well, it just leaves a huge opening. Yeah, and it's definitely, it's sort of that uh, that old adage that we we asked, can we do something, but like we didn't ask, should we do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, and I even sometimes make that argument between, you know, Drupal and WordPress that if someone's going to try, if they're going to have a regular website, you know, it's like a content-based website and they also want that website to do fill in the blank that Drupal's usually a more flexible solution for doing that, that it has a lot more core defaults, like fields are, are part of core, different content types are part of core, you know, all those things are just views. They're just part of Drupal, you know? So like, if you need, if you need to also serve some other function, like having, you know, support articles or, you know, some sort of logged in user thing that you need to do much easier to build on Drupal. So some of those things, especially, I think Solomon, what you pointed out is that that works great for like, I just need to get something done and my skill is Drupal. And so I need to do it, but that maybe that doesn't end up scaling, you know, <laughs> as particularly well as, you know, when you get to where you're having to serve, you know, hundreds of thousands of users or whatever, right. that's when then that's then when it sounds like you guys have run into like, that's the point where you need to start thinking about, okay, what other sections of the stack can we bring in here? Because our problem is now novel. It wasn't the same one it was two years ago. And that's, that's one of the cool things about what we've got been able to do over the past, well, I guess since 2008, officially for me, um, between this company and the previous, you know, for, for 10 years, it's just solving these really unique, difficult problems. And that's, and, they, and this kind of, you mentioned headless. Headless has brought about the concept that Drupal is a part of your stack. It's not the stack. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for Mike and I, we've been doing this. <laughs> that's been our model really for the, for the, for the entire period. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really about solving the problems. And, um, you know, I'd be the first to recommend something different than Drupal if it was the right thing for the customer. Um, Drupal obviously does some really great things and, and we, we recommend it often. Um, but, but, it's, but it's a part of the stack and that's really the point. And, um, you know, I, I think some of this also has to do with the maturity of the community. So, you know, Drupal in its early stages, it was essentially just I don't want to say just because I don't want to like stereotype everyone, but essentially there was there was a significant number of people who had just one technology that they were good at. They were good at PHP, Drupal, and that was it. They weren't, um, you know, multi um, multi stack, if you will, developers. They were they were very um, focused on a single technology stack, yep. and that was part of its success, right? It did a lot in a single tech stack, um, but as time went on and we realized, hey, it's it's more than just content management that, that you need for uh, a good digital experience. Then that's when we started bringing a lot of these other technologies. And I think the, if you look at the agencies, even in the Drupal space that have succeeded um, quicker maybe than some of the others is, are the ones that have adopted additional technologies in addition to just saying, oh, we're only Drupal. Yep. And um, some of them quickly went to WordPress. That's an easy shift, but... You know, but the, but you know, others have essentially said, you know, we'll, we we want to focus on your digital experience. We're going to use Drupal as a component of that, and that's part of why Headless has had such a, um, 
a blaze, if you will. You know, that's why it's you know it's it's part of the story. It's yeah. because we're using it for what it's really good for. Yeah, and that's definitely that I think resonates with sort of you know what tandem and Lando, you know, what we're doing. Like Lando is a Node.js project and that never would have come to be had you know the the people who started working on it branched out and started looking at technologies other than just Drupal. Right. So, you know, learning Node.js has been quite useful, but it is definitely like what I've experienced doing it is that you you don't sometimes you don't realize how much free stuff Drupal has already given you <laughs> <laughs> until until you end up having to go uh implement, you know, something like authentication on a oh, right. Right. on a decoupled Drupal site or you have to you have to integrate some even just integrating like the different things like the media module, right? And and Drupal is ha, has immensely helped like the management of media on Drupal websites. It's like it's much easier to organize your media now and to do really cool things with it. But every single request from a decoupled front end that you have to do now has to go through two or three extra steps right. through, through the JSON API just to be able to get, you know, the images. So it's, exactly. it's these little things that you, you don't realize that like, oh, I'm going to have to do that. And there were, there were, there were warning posts along the way, you know, that you, know, you go read, read Lullabot's articles where they say like, hey, look what we did. It was really hard. And you're like, well, great. Lullabot did it first. We can probably do it now after them. And then, uh, and then you realize all the, the blog posts that they wrote, you didn't quite take seriously. Enough. <laughs> yeah. We talked about all those extra API calls. And if you're thinking about performance as a reason to do headless, and then you add all of the authentication layers behind that, uh, you better have a performant authentication layer if yep. you really think about it, because you could lose there what you gained in performance by separating into headless. So, yeah. And in our case, the way that, you know, the site that we built that was a decoupled site was a lot of uh, leveraging, you know, you were talking about varnish, you know, we essentially reused a lot of the same tricks on that decoupled node front end. So that decoupled node front end has a, you know, has a proxy in front of it that's caching as much content as it can. And then we're also caching the the API request to Drupal and then Drupal's caching in, in Redis. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yep. it's the what, what they call it, the nested nested doll caching kind of setup. Exactly. Like and if you if you go to edge side includes, you can really uh, get some additional performance increases and potentially build a component on your site in a language other than PHP or Drupal, because you can see that one dynamic piece as something that is not necessarily needing all of the overhead of Drupal. Yeah. Uh, if you analyze a page, most pages are static, but they have regions that are dynamic. And if you focus on each of those dynamic pieces very separately, for example, the user login area, that can be cached on the user's machine because it's the same as they browse across the site. It doesn't need to be pulled every time. It could be um, can, can be cached locally with JavaScript. And that's one, of, that's one of the tricks that we used on that site that I mentioned that we did in Drupal 5 is literally the user login box was, was cached on the user's, um, in the user's browser. Mm, and like from local storage kind of thing. Well, this was before local storage, so you kind of had to have JavaScript that rendered based on some cookies <laughs> and, a, and a local static cache. But, um, but yes, so that's the same thing. Yeah, same same idea. Same idea. And then we 
you know, different regions on the page that really should be served by um, Edgeside Includes. And I'm a little ashamed to say it, but we had one little piece of the page that was be, being rendered by a Perl backend. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we had some legacy code that was wor- that worked and it was efficient. And so used it. <laughs> that type of decision would be something a lot of developers would be afraid to do. You know, would be afraid to try to pull some, especially if you're not the one who wrote the legacy application. <laughs> you, you'd, you'd feel a lot more comfortable simply just being like, nope, we're building everything fresh in Drupal because that's what I know how to do. I think that's a good piece of the story here is that it, when you look at the application, you shouldn't be thinking, I'm going to build this in Drupal. Yeah. You simply need to deconstruct the, the, the requirements for the application and then ask what is the best way to solve the different pieces of the problem. And, um, and that's where, you know, someone like myself who's had that experience can really come alongside and help teams, you know, figure that out. Yeah. And it, it, it was something that we've been talking about a lot lately, like inside Tandem, when we're thinking about starting this podcast and sort of some of the, you know, what are the challenges that developers are facing now? And I think you've, you've hinted at a few times that the challenge of trying to learn and be fluent and productive in these different technologies is really a lot more necessary now than it was five years ago. Learning some some type of JavaScript five years ago, you could get away with being a Drupal developer who barely ever wrote any JavaScript. And that was me. You know, I, I barely ever wrote any JavaScript. But I just let somebody else do it. You really but, didn't need the JavaScript. You just needed to know how to use jQuery. Yeah, right. Yeah, then you're like, but well, how do I do this thing without dollar sign you know, thing? That uh, how do you do that? But uh, yeah, and so that was that's definitely I think a challenge that a lot of developers are facing now. Yeah, we were talking to a small agency, a two person shop, um, three or four months ago, and you know we started talking about a couple of the different technologies, and essentially their quick answer was, "Look, we're a two person shop." Mm-hmm. Our, our our money is made by pumping out these sites as quickly as possible. We don't have the time to learn new technologies. And anytime you're going to mess with our, our process and start bringing in additional technologies, that's time we're wasting that we're not making the next dollar. And I think that really represents the part of the problem. I mean, larger, larger agencies, they have the time to invest, you know, a portion or a full weight, a full person or whatever. Different people at different times, obviously, not not just one dedicated person just learning. But yeah. I mean, you, have, you have that flexibility to to have you know, 10% overhead of, of you know, people learning new and, and accomplishing um, a better CICD to give you that efficiency later or to add, you know, even that, even that we talked about Lando, Lando with that agency partner. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't even want to touch Lando because the process that I have works. And I don't, I don't know if I have the time to add Lando. And I'm, you know, even, even talking about how quick Lando is to, to pick up and learn, um, uh, they were still scared of it. And I, but I totally get that, that apprehension. It's not that they aren't technically capable or even willing. It's that you have to make money in the end of the day. And when yeah. you're, the number of technologies that you're expected to know to solve these problems becomes exponential, um, you have to find ways to augment your team, if you will, with those additional capabilities. Yeah, or it seems like the, you know, sort of the other direction a lot of people end up going is, okay, like, I'm just going to willow, you know, widow down on my, you know, finding of people who need exactly the problem that that I already know how to solve. Right. Um, and I think sort of what 
you know, what I was thinking of when you were talking about that, you know, the need to, to find time to, to do this exploration is that, you know, a lot of companies are running, you know, probably too lean potentially to, to, to be able to have any room to do these kinds of things. Like they need to, they need to build a site today to get paid tomorrow, you know, you know, to, to, to put the paychecks out for everyone next week, uh, even if it's just two people, but yeah, that's definitely a, a big challenge is getting to a space where you have the room to explore new things. And that's something right. that I know a lot of agencies struggle with, you know, trying to figure out how do I make the time so that we can, we can be keeping up on new things. And that's not, that's not just agencies, by the way, my, my boss tells us all the time, the customer is going to drive us into the future quicker than we can plan for it. Mm. And, and what he means by that is, you know, we see challenges and we just have to go for them. But when we see something coming, sometimes we don't have the time to make the investment right then to go learn that technology and be ready for it. Um, you know, sometimes we just have to wait till it comes. And uh, like serverless is a good example of that. I mean, we're doing some stuff with serverless, but it's not like we have this whole proof of concept all built out and, you know, a sample site showing all the different best practices on how to do it. I, yep. I can't claim that. Right. But at the same time, we know it's there. We know we have we have people with the AWS skills to do it. Um, you know, we can do one. We know we can do one. We're ready to do one. <laughs> but at the same right. time, we haven't invested to have this huge demo site you know, ready sitting there as a, as a sample. Right. So you're, you're ready to do, you know, V1, but we don't have, you know, we don't have the model T rolling off the production line with, uh, with our years of experience doing this exact same thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. by the way, this is, you know, part of where black mesh is really good because, you know, we had one of the big Drupal agencies brought us, um, a customer who was there. And by the way, this is a big name in the Drupal space. So I don't want to, diminish that but they this was their first foray into containers this was a long time ago mm -hmm. this was their first foray into containers and of course the competing platforms didn't have any support for containers at the time and um they wanted us to be that that partner and because of our perspective and our expertise in-house we were able to say yeah we can support that but let's just be very honest we're learning some of this stuff with you mm. And, and, uh, but we're, we want to be your partner. We're going to dedicate the resources to make this happen. And, um, I don't know that the solution met the budget. <laughs> they had, that's always set, the trick. <laughs> they had four physical machines with a hundred containers on each of them. Um, not really the best performance solution, but, um, but that is what the budget was for that customer. But, but, it, but the point is that we were able to, really go into at the time what was cutting edge and um and meet that agency with what they wanted to do for that customer which for them was cutting edge as well yeah and again that was their very first container customer yeah so it sounds like a, a big willingness to like you know you you may be trying something a bit risky but you know that you know it's black mesh is sort of willing to to walk out on the limb <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, with the customer, you know, with full transparency of, Hey, like we're, we're doing something risky together and we'll learn from it regardless of whether what we actually end up implementing, you know, five years down the road, we might say this was a learning experience <laughs> and we moved on to something else. Yeah. And to, and to be very clear, we always invest into those type of projects internally we're, the customer is not feeling like they're paying for something they're not getting. I mean, we make sure we make things right there. Yeah, we're working with another customer right now who it's it's a headless Drupal site. It's um, 
containers for the front end, it's servers for the back end. So they're putting the headless, the Drupal 7 sites, you know, the headless part is physical infrastructure, but the front end is containers. And um, we, we said, you know what, this is, this is a little unique and we're going to invest in you and you can invest in us and we'll get through this together. In the end, they're all just talking to each other over TCP IP, regardless of what's on the other end of it. And that's, that's one of the cool things about doing sort of these more microservice oriented things is that at a future date, if you decide you want to swap out any of those components, there's a defined interface between the two of them that you can use to build the new one. And then when it's time to cut over, you just cut over from the old one to the new one. So that's something that hopefully that means, you know, if, if in three years an organization has outgrown Drupal, they can still use their whatever front end and they can, you know, back their servers with whatever content store becomes the right thing for them. Yeah. Right. At that time. Um, okay. So we've, we've kind of already covered this, I think a little bit over, you know, the, the conversation we've had, but what do you think the constellations of technologies um, that are going to be powering sort of the modern website, you know, now and in the near future? I'm just thinking about this question. You know, I, I think no matter, no matter what you do, right, you're always going to have this goal of localize the data, cache as much as you can have a presentation front end, maybe a middleware app and then the back end, right? That's, it's, Almost those components are never going to go away. It's just how are we going to solve them and how are we going to kind of get further to the edges of that to, to maximize the benefit. Um, and I, I think really the the one that we were talking about before is that the serverless component, right, that really gives you mm-hmm. that, right? That gives you that localize. The, you know, the caching piece of it is sort of the CDN varnish world, if you will, right? And yeah, the some of variation it, of it. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, you know, and that gives you the ability to both geolocate as well as apply parameters about the user, you know, maybe how, you know, how they're viewing it, where they are viewing it at the current moment, and then provide content that's specific to that, right? Not just get it to them faster, but customize that data based on that localization. Yep, and then then, then everybody can use their VPNs to watch their Canadian TV and <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Kim's Convenience, the new the new season isn't out on Netflix yet. So <laughs> if, you, if you want to watch it, you got to watch it through CBC in Canada. <laughs> Can it right? right okay. Yeah, we're we're see, we're definitely seeing also that the PR campaigns of the public cloud are very successful. And I don't say that pejoratively and negatively. Um, we encourage some of our customers to host on public cloud, and of course, we're their partner doing that. Um, but what AWS and others have really benefited um, from in their their advertising and their presentation is, you know, you can ignore the infrastructure mm-hmm. and, it, and auto-scaling. Auto-scaling is the other promise. And people don't realize a lot of times how expensive it is to build an application that truly auto-scales. You can't just install Drupal on a server and it auto-scales. Push an auto-scale button and it works, right? You don't, you, that, that's not a thing. We have a customer um, that wanted the promises of AWS for, for a future need, but today didn't need all of those capabilities. And so our approach was to host that customer on AWS with the roadmap. You know, when they start needing caching, we'll hook up ElastiCache. When they start needing um, the databases to, to scale up, we'll implement those rules. When, it's, when it finally comes time for their front end, to to scale we'll we'll configure 
you know, image base images and connect that behind um, elastic load balancer and, and they'll yep. be able to scale the, the images. And if that customer wants to containerize, we'll be there for them as well. But the point is, is being able to kind of pick the technologies that you need to add and some of those services, if you will, like if that customer needs to go to Lambda at the edge when it comes to um, the serverless computing, then we're there for them as well. So I think the, I guess what I, the answer to the question is really that the public cloud offerings are becoming like the leader mm-hmm. in, um, in, in driving applications to use those solutions. And so even const- com- companies that work on things like DRAS, um, you know, disaster recovery as a service, mm. have essentially said, okay, AWS doesn't have that solution. So we need to offer that in the, in the AWS marketplace in order to have that instant copying of the database between regions. The uh, storage that AWS has, um, honestly, is not not it's not a NAS solution. It's not really performant. Mm. So when you start having lots of lots of rights to your data and you want that replicated, then you need some type of NAS solution. And so there are companies that have partnered um, with AWS to to get those type of solutions available in the AWS marketplace. Yeah, so it's like it's like the extension of existing pl- public cloud services. It sounds like correct. So what you're saying. So like one one of our partners is in AWS is in data centers, and their cages are like right next to AWS cages. I mean, that's the way they <laughs> they they present it. Pipe right between them. Yeah, and they have a cross connect between the two of them, and so essentially they provide high performance NAS service, and so you can use that service for your you know, and if, if for people who might not know what I mean by NAS, I'm. Think about your Drupal files, and you have multiple web heads. You mm-hmm. don't want to write those files to all your web heads. You want to write it to a very single location. Yep. Well, yes, you can mount that to a volume in AWS, but believe it or not, that is slow. When we're talking about high performance, that is actually a bottleneck. And so you need a high performance NAS solution. And so, um, you know, that, that I guess my point is, is that the public cloud and its ecosystem are driving a lot of the capabilities. And so we can look at, I I know I'm speaking more from an infrastructure perspective, but I think the infrastructure capabilities are somewhat driving the technologies that are adopted on top of it. And so, you know, we weren't even thinking about serverless before Lambda at the edge. And so if if we're doing serverless, we're picking Lambda. Um, And, you know, Node.js has kind of come in as the front end, whether you're using a React or an Angular or a Vue or whatever model you're using for your front end JS, um, these technologies have kind of exploded, but it kind of came from the problem of needing to separate your back end from your front end. Yeah. And I'm definitely noticing when you mentioned sort of these specific, uh, you know, provider specific technologies, um, it's definitely something that I have a lot of apprehension about. Like, I don't want to be locked into AWS's ecosystem, you know? So like the fact that Laravel Vapor only runs on AWS's infrastructure, I'm constantly on the lookout. Maybe it's, you know, it's being trained, being a Drupal developer and trying to find like the open source free version of everything, right? You're like yep. trying to find like what solutions aren't tied to this cloud provider so that I can decide at a future date, you know, I'm getting a better deal from, DigitalOcean droplets. So, you know, 
I can't change in the future if I'm if I'm wedded to AWS's ecosystem. So that's definitely something when you were talking about that, it made me think of how I see a lot of businesses and developers tying themselves pretty tightly to some of these implementations. And that that's something that concerns me. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that's why, you know, if you look at all of the cloud initiatives that the, a lot of the major corporations um, have, it's easy to look at that as, um, as, a, as a great future for public cloud. And I won't deny it is, but there's a, a secondary, if you will, um, current that's coming alongside of that that I think a lot of people miss. And that is, is the objective for a hybrid cloud. And the, we're, we're seeing that personally, that customers don't want to invest in just the public cloud. They want a hybrid solution. So we come in as their DR solution, or we come in as their primary, and AWS is their DR. And so that means keeping us in sync with AWS, or the customer's code, obviously, in their solution. Um, that means us you know, creating those, those strategies so that if we go down, if AWS is up. If AWS goes down, you know we're still up. Yeah, um, you don't run into the parlor, you know, situation <laughs> where you get oh shut off AWS. Um, and I won't dive into those politics at all. But <laughs> but my point is really just the concept. Whether it's whether you forgot to pay your bill or whether it's you know some other more valid reason. Provider uh, says no. Right. Provider says no. That you have that multiple infrastructure strategy and, and and that's why we don't consider ourselves just like as a hosting company We're, we it's, it's really about those solutions that sit on top of the infrastructure and hey we do infrastructure too yeah and i think that that's something that is as a part of the last few years that i hope grows is this concept of you know we provide the tooling and the knowledge and you know the 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 secret sauce that runs on top of uh, you know, what, what would you call it? Sort of a commodity infrastructure right. to a certain extent. And the idea of, I, I, I personally love the idea of being able to change things whenever I want based on, you know, if my values have changed and I don't want to be associated with, you know, a particular company, if, you know, if there's a privacy concern with the, you know, the data that a certain company, it's great. Um, I think what, what you've mentioned Black Mesh is doing around being able to partner with these different companies and you can get the same experience, but you know, if for some reason your organization doesn't support cloud provider, why, for whatever reason, you don't have to host with them just because you want to use Black Mesh's tools. Exactly. And then for those who are truly paranoid, um, part of our services include, for example, Terraform and configuration management, mm-hmm. stuff like Ansible and, and Salt and... Uh, we, we we have pup, puppet and chef experience in house too. Um, those, do it all. <laughs> those, those are not our forte. Yeah, we, we can do it. Though, but, um, you know, and, Ansible is really big in the Drupal community, yeah. and so um, you know that we have customers who essentially want major components of their solution essentially automated, um, custom automated in Ansible or in Terraform. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Terraform. I'm actually you are, but essentially that's that yeah. means you're. Yeah, for those who might not know, it just means if, if you want to tear down on AWS and spin up on um, Google, Google Compute Cloud, and you've done your homework and you've got everything written and coded right. correctly, <laughs> you should be able to. And um, you're defining infrastructure's code. I mean, that's that's the summary. Yep, and, yep, uh, for sure. And it's and it's provider agnostic. Exactly. You know, it's it's not Amazon 
uh, infrastructure as code. Like that's an actual thing they have, IAAC oh, yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> it's the it's the concept, but not tied to anyone. Exactly. And so we definitely see that as part of the future um, role for a Drupal managed services company is to be able to to provide that for for companies that need to be nimble um, when it comes to their their cloud provider requirements. Yeah, and so when thinking about sort of you know the original you know question about the constellation of technologies powering the modern website, I think one of the things that kind of came out from that discussion was thinking about how a lot of them are currently tied to sort of the emerging technologies um, that are coming out. You know, and containers are still a big thing, but serverless is sort of, you know, another thing coming on the horizon that, um, you know, is going to be a part of things. And uh, obviously some sort of JavaScript capabilities. <laughs> so if at this point in 2021, if you're, you know, if you're feeling like there's something you need to learn and you haven't done some kind of JavaScript front end experience at some point, that's probably number one <laughs> being able to do something with it doesn't matter if it's react view angular like you said or spelt or you know whatever <laughs> whatever one comes out next week <laughs> pick something and make sure you know something about it because it may be useful <laughs> right yep and i also a lot of the um uh the retraining um i'm not sure exactly what they're called but the companies that focus on on career changing and, and helping people make those transition through training. A lot of them are focused on front end JavaScript development right now as the emerging low, as the emerging tech, emerging technologies to teach. And, um, you know, we've, we've been, you know, hiring a couple positions and I've been going through resume after resume after resume. Every single one of them seems to, to be, you know, just coming out of these schools. Yep. I think it's an awesome thing, but it also shows where the market demand is right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's that's one of the things that I love about sort of this industry, and this actually the the previous podcast guest that we talked to um, is you know the main concept behind the entire episode. We were talking a lot about sort of transitioning into this world from doing something else, and it's funny when you go around the Drupal community, a huge portion of people uh, used to have a different career before they you know you mentioned <laughs> teaching, right? You know, like. Before and one of our uh, one of our developers at Tandem was a teacher too, before they they became a web developer. So that's definitely that's a pattern. <laughs> well, I always said I wanted to uh, do and then teach, but I started teaching and then I figured I should probably go start doing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we think that the traditional CMS fits into this? Do we think at some point in the future it's going to go away and get replaced with with something else, or do you guys see you know, sort of Drupal and WordPress, Statomic, whatever, like staying in this for the long haul, these sort of traditional tried and true PHP content management systems? I think they serve a very specific purpose. They've tried to do more than that purpose, mm -hmm. but they do something really well. They manage content. Yep. And from that perspective, you know, even the concept of tagging and things like that, you now see other CMSs picking up on. Drupal was kind of one of the leaders in that. I mean, I, they, they didn't invent the concept, but you know what I right. mean. That, they made, that, made it much more flexible yeah. than, than the other tools. And so I, I don't see them, you know, waning. I think you see, you still see more companies, you know, coming on board that Drupal is a big part of their solution. So I don't think they go away. But what I think we will see is that they, 
I don't want to use the marginal word marginalized because that's that's incorrect, but they they fit their place, right? The Drupal mm-hmm. 7 concept of it is everything you will ever need. I think we've realized that's not the, not the answer. <laughs> it shouldn't for be. Some, <laughs> right. For some customers, it may be. If you just need a blog, then, you know, WordPress or a simple Drupal install might be might be a great solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think what we're going to see is more and more focused on it having its place. Um, but I will I will look forward to I'll make a forward looking statement, and that is that if Drupal really wants to, um, I guess this is a little note to the big <laughs> the big decision makers in the Drupal community. But if, if Drupal wants to really think forward, they've got to deconstruct the database and figure out a way to decentralize it, and um, that's a hard problem. I mean, that's a really hard problem, but the highest performant, you know, sites are ones that, you know, are sharding the data that are, um, and I'm not saying you can't write a bunch of custom stuff to shard, but it's not native to, to data, to the Drupal database, but just embracing other, you know, you should, you should not be putting log data into MySQL. Um, <laughs> the know, syslog no, module is very useful. Right. There's, there's a number of other, you know, strategies to solve some of the problems that Drupal does kind of with it, with a monolithic relational database in mind. Yep. And, and, and I think that if, if Drupal wants to think about the next evolution, one of them, one of the components needs to be thinking distributed. And that will allow us to think more in terms of serverless and that allow us to think more in terms of containers and, and all of the other technologies that really represent modern websites. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And using, I've, I've been using Laravel a lot more over the past few years after being a Drupal developer for a very long time. And one of the big things that's different about how I write code when I'm writing things for Laravel is um, using the queue system. And every time I come back to a Drupal site and realize that the closest thing we have to a queuing system is cron, (laughs) 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 you know, that, that I can't just asynchronously put, you know, expensive jobs onto a queue and let some other worker, you know, run those jobs to dispatch emails and all that stuff in the future. I think that's, to me, that seems like a big part of like, I'd love to see that technology come to Drupal for sure. Mike, Mike, are there any ideas you've got? You, you think, uh, you know, what's going in the future? Yeah, I mean, look, I guarantee I'm going to be proven wrong because that's the industry, right? <laughs> the, but I, to, you can to, guess anyway. It's okay. Yeah, we won't yeah, hold you right. to it. You know, I, I think this is a, a, a cheesy byline that everybody uses, right? Content is king. And to some extent, I think it doesn't matter how many advanced technologies you come out with for your presentation layer, right? You still need to have that content. And I think the CMSs do a great job of managing that content, right? So I suspect some version of what we think of as a CMS is, is gonna stick around for quite a while. And it's the focus is really gonna be on that that front end presentation portion of it. I, yep. I can't imagine that relationship not continuing. Yeah, definitely. It seems like that's where a lot of the change is happening, like you guys are saying, is sort of, yeah. The, and, and that's where honestly, the traditional CMS often needs the most work um, you know, for the developer experience side of it. I know Solomon mentioned sort of, you know, the performance side and the scaling side that the database is a huge part, but um, I loved Drupal 7 and I still love Drupal 8. Um, I've, ne- I've never really particularly enjoyed working with WordPress, but uh, the, the hardest part of, of working with those systems is dealing with being able to theme them and be able to theme them efficiently. <laughs> that's something that's always very difficult. And that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people I know wanted to do decoupled front ends. It's just simply so that they wouldn't be constrained by the markup system 
you know, of the, of the theme layer. So, yeah. And poor WordPress. I mean, let, let's be honest, it was invented just to be a blog, right? And now and it's, it's running 80% of the websites. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and, and it's being asked to run 80% of the websites on the, the internet now or something, you know, it's, I mean, it's crazy. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely. And now, you know, now automatic was, uh, got, got a big investment and now they're, you know, they're a big player. You know, they're they're not just the 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 little content management system that could anymore. All right. Well, thanks guys for for coming on today. I enjoyed uh, having a chance to talk with you. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, where should they look for uh, you guys in Blackmesh? Yeah, I'd say uh, always recommend checking out blackmesh.com, Of course. Um, yeah, welcome to uh, email me. We'll we'll put my email in the show notes certainly and. Uh... More than glad to talk to you or hook you up with anybody that uh, you know that you need to talk to, whether it's a sales or a tech or whatever you want to chat about. Yeah, you can also check me out on um, Drupal Slack channel. I hang out and um, and sometimes say things intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then, nugget of, nugget of wisdom drops out, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you guys again for being on the show, um, and look forward to talking to you in the future. It sounds good. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to DevQuest. If you like the episode, do us a favor and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, as it will help folks find us. You can find the show, including show notes and links to our work, at devquest.lando.dev. Consider sponsoring Lando on Patreon at patreon.com slash devwithlando, so we can continue to build the best open source developer tool belt in the galaxy and bring you more podcast episodes like this one. If you have a question or a story you'd love to tell, you can contact us at podcast at lando.dev. Until next time, dev well, friends. <laughs>